Alrighty, folks, it is almost spooky season. It is the end of September, and there is quite a bit of spookiness flying around the CMMC rule, the CMMC ecosystem. The boogeyman is out there. Uh, lots of scary stories uh, to be had if you are paying attention to what's going on in the ecosystem recently. Uh, and uh, last night, we had another AB town hall, didn't we? We did. And there's a lot of things that were covered in the town hall, right? But I think we jump into this and we say, Matt Travis, who is the CEO of the CMMC AB, will be at CS2 Denver coming up. Opening session. Will, the morning of session. day one. And the great thing about CS2 is every session comes with its Q&A section. And if you oh, have yeah. questions that revolve around anything, and I'm sure that there are a lot, I think that that would be the perfect time for you to step in and say, Mr. Travis, yeah. can I have a word? I think, you know what I'm saying? I think there's, there's controversy, there's scandal, there's drama, there's suspense. There's everything to be had uh, flying around the ecosystem today. So I think rather than diving into what happened on the town hall, we'll link to it. And sure. I would encourage everybody... Register for CS2, and then we can ask him right there uh, what's going on. And then I think probably in the episode after CS2, we'll probably roll all that stuff together and sort of see what was going on. However, however, among all the things that got covered, uh, apparently there's going to be a government shutdown, huh? Yeah, there is. And, and I think that that's the one thing that I want to take from the town hall and I want to ask you. So, Jacob, Matt last night discussed – Matt Travis, sorry – we're not on a first name basis, um, but Matt Travis last night discussed how uh, uh, the, the looming government shutdown would affect the rulemaking process, because obviously it is a process that is ran by government employees. Yep. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. What gives? What's going on? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in in keeping with, uh, I think, the running theme of the show and Summit 7 content, um, you know, the big picture to focus on is rulemaking. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, issues with the AB, uh, stuff that pops up here and there, uh, whatever else is going on, rulemaking is the sort of big gear in the system uh, that that everything else kind of falls by the wayside. And uh, one of the things that can severely affect rulemaking is a government shutdown. So yeah. we'll post a link uh, to a Reuters article uh, that we found the other day that sort of uh, looked at what happened in the last shutdown, the 2018-2019, I believe, government shutdown. Long story short, the Office of Management and Budget is part of the government. OIRA, the Office of Information Regulatory Affairs, that does all the regulatory reviews for all agency rules, including CMMC, which they are currently looking at, is one of the offices and activities that gets uh, pulled back the most sharply uh, when a government shutdown happens which essentially means that if the government shutdown occurs, and I don't know a single person that thinks it won't occur, uh, rulemaking basically freezes, right? Nothing happens uh, regarding rulemaking. So are they going to have an 11th hour uh, deal? Is it going to be shut down for 72 hours and everybody just had a long weekend? Is this you know, going to go on for some period of time? We don't know. But Shutting down any complicated system is, uh, you know, can take a while, and then turning that complicated system back on can take a while. So it's uh, unwelcome and it's unhelpful. And depending on how long the shutdown is, that would probably push our expected date of a published rule past the end of October. Currently, based off historical averages, since it was submitted in July, we would expect to see a published rule end of October. 
uh, with the shutdown that could go into closer to the holidays. Ideally, it's published before the holidays so we can all see it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, but we're just going to have to see how long the shutdown happens. But yeah, nothing good happens with the government shutdown. I think I posted about this the other day. It's uh, very annoying to hear Congress talk a big game about you know wanting better cybersecurity and there's executive orders about cybersecurity mm-hmm. and this and that. And then when years go by and finally the machinery of government has their rule with OIRA to be pushed out and the process can get started, we just shut the whole operation down. So, you know, maybe we should have, uh, I think I posted, I was like, every time the government talks a big game about cybersecurity, they should put a dollar in the jar so they can fund the team at OIRA to continue doing regulatory review while they all shut it down. So yeah, government shutdown is going to add a wrench in the gears of the rulemaking timeline. Uh, It will delay it some amount of time, uh, but hopefully not too much time. Hopefully we still get something this side of this side of the calendar year. So I know you way back when, when your beard just barely extended past your chin. And when I knew you then, you said, I'm going on a sabbatical. I'm going to take a vacation. You disappeared. You went in a cave. You came out and you told us every trend in rulemaking pretty much over the past 100 years um, to include when presidential elections affect rulemaking timelines or when other and you know major events affect rulemaking timelines. And we missed the opportunity because we didn't cover when government shutdowns, which are a very common occurrence surprisingly yeah well you know now that i think about it right when we went back and looked so we went back and looked at every uh you know we we looked back at how long it takes to ira when they receive a rule to review the rule and then subsequently have that rule get published mm-hmm. uh so since we went back and looked at every dod rule since 2009 uh, that would include government shutdowns i'd have to go back and look at the data and see how long that specifically was however on average, right, we're still within that time frame. OIRA still does have their 90-day limit, according to the executive order, which works out to roughly 66 business days on average as it actually plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, will it delay it? Yes. Will it delay it months? Probably not, right? It's probably, you're mm-hmm. talking, you know, weeks, uh, if anything. Uh, that, that rulemaking process and regulatory review has already been uh, you know, up and running now since July. So it's not like they just got it and then the government is shutting down before they can get started, which is encouraging, but um, but yeah, not very helpful. Yeah, and, and so that topic isn't necessarily why we've gathered you all here today, right? Why we've gathered you all here today, right, is to uh, celebrate. It's, it's an and, anniversary. Yeah, well, it's, it's the season of spookiness, the season of anniversaries. We're about to turn one and the CMMC first rule right? Is about to turn what? Three? Yeah. So uh, let's see. So uh, people will probably be hearing this on the 28th. And on the 29th of September of, uh, let's see, it would have been 2020, Mm -hmm. the CMMC rule, the infamous CMMC rule was published as an interim final year uh, rule. Three years ago, essentially today, by the time you're listening to this effectively, three years ago this month. Three years have gone by since the government. We've all learned a lot about the difference between proposed rules and interim final rules. Three years have gone by since the government, since OIRA, determined that there was a sufficient basis to issue an interim final rule to assess the implementation of 800-171 requirements mm-hmm. pursuant to DFARS Clause 7012. An interim final rule is a big deal. 
interim final rules mm -hmm. are very rare. As we know, the big debate currently is will this CMMC program rule be interim final or proposed? And everybody you that you talk to uh, believes that it will be a proposed rule. And I think that that is very peculiar. And so, you know, sort of I wanted to cover kind of two things just very quickly for everybody's awareness, right? Uh, you know, probably just take this episode to kind of uh, look back at how far we've come or not come since the uh, since the 2020 rule. So at a very high level, in 2013, the DOD decides that uh, they need to get their hands around the industrial base losing sensitive data to uh, basically Chinese intrusion activity. And so they issue a proposed rule that creates the DFARS 7012 clause for the first time. DFARS 7012 clause was created in 2013 through a proposed rule, public comment, final rule, wham, bam, here you go. You got the clause, right? Now, as time went along, those intrusions, that exfiltration of data, the lack of incident reporting, the lack of implementation, the lack of assurance got worse and worse and worse. So then in 2016, primarily after the hack of OPM and everybody's clearance data, um, in conjunction with the in parallel CUI program that had gotten you know up and running, they mm -hmm. issued an interim final rule, an interim final rule to revise DFAR 7012. And at that point, the requirements, instead of pointing to 853, they point to 8171. They add paragraphs C through G, incident reporting, data retention, DOD access uh, after an incident, things like that. Uh, and so as a result, they revised DFAR 7012 basically to the form of the clause that we know today. The version of DFAR 7012 that everybody has in their clause is the version that was revised in 2016. It was an interim final rule because the DOD said uh, we need better requirements. We need better access in uh, the uh, event of an incident. We need better incident reporting. Uh, you know, we, we need we need more stuff to be done because the threat landscape has gotten worse. A sufficient justification for an interim final rule in the name of national security made it all the way through the Pentagon, made it all the way through OIRA, and it was subsequently published. So we went regular rule 2013, interim final rule 2016. A couple years go by, and it's very obvious that nothing's getting any better, Right. Some initial DOD assessments show that contractors aren't implementing their requirements. The DOD IG finds out that contractors aren't implementing their requirements. The Senate Armed Services Committee finds out that contractors aren't implementing their requirements. The Sea Dragon submarine-launched hypersonic missile program gets compromised. The Senate and House Armed Services Committee get ultra-pissed, and that mm -hmm. causes them to... Uh, direct the DOD to start the Protecting Critical Technology Task Force, headed up by General Mattis himself. And they put a provision in the FY20 NDAA that says you're going to create a program via rulemaking that makes a requirement to hold contractors accountable for implementing their requirements. Pretty cut and dry. Pretty cut mm -hmm. and dry. You had the requirements in 2016. Nobody implemented the requirements. We have no assurance that they're implemented. Stuff's crazy out here we're going to come and verify that they're implemented. That is a sufficient case for another interim final rule that we right. get in 2020. So we went normal rule, if you will, in 2013, 
Stuff gets worse, interim final rule in 2016. Stuff gets worse, interim final rule in 2020. Here we are three years later, and that begs the question, has anything gotten better or has it gotten worse? And that would sort of at a high level make you think if it's gotten worse still, we would probably be able to extend that national security justification for an interim mm -hmm. final rule for the CMMC program. So I put a link on, you know, very unscientific poll on LinkedIn and said, what do you think? Should it be an interim final rule? Should it be a proposed rule? And the majority of people linked to it. And the majority of people said it should be an interim final rule. Now, these are people uh, who, you know, they know what's going on. They probably understand the basis. This is, you know, this is not a holistic or, you know, exhaustive uh, <laughs> uh, set of people to poll, but it is interesting, right? It is interesting. And so that's the high level overview. Maybe we'll just stop there really quickly. But later on, I want to sort of go into the specifics that are listed in the 2020 rule uh, to sort of outline what the justification was then. People can ask themselves, do you think it was any better today? 2013, the justification exists. 2020, the justification exists. 2013, 20... 2016, and 2020. Oh, yeah. And now we get to the fourth iteration. And we not only know that the justification exists, but it's even more dire, right? The, 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 yeah. the way that we are competing with our adversaries is even more pathetic. Like, I, I, it's a terrible word, but yeah. it's the truth. Like, it's practically taking candy from a baby. So when we talk about that, what would be justification in this, in this scenario for deviation from history and going from interim final to a proposed well, the counter argument, right, is um, it, it needs to be a proposed rule because the program is so complicated sure. that you really can't skip this public feedback process and jam out the rule, right? Now, right. you know, the thing about the 2020 rule that we've talked about before is the 2020 rule just creates a contract clause for CMMC, DFAR 7021. And it basically says, go get a CMMC certification. And yeah. as we've talked about, the entire reason why there's another rule in the system is that the tenets and the details of how the program actually works weren't written down anywhere mm -hmm. because the government was freaking out because no one's implementing the requirements and everything is getting worse. They were like, whatever, 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 just go get an assessment. Just go prove that you're doing something. Go do something as fast as possible. Now, they basically created a clause without the program. It's effectively uh, the cart before the horse metaphor, right? Here, right. the horse being the CMMC program and the cart being the CMMC contract clause. So we had to start all over again, basically, and backfill this program via rulemaking. So the justification for the increased requirements in 2016, interim final, the justification for the clause to verify those requirements when we know they're going unimplemented, interim final. The rule that documents the tenets of the program proposed, allegedly, which makes mm -hmm. no sense if you're looking at it from this OIRA's own national security criterion, if you will, right? The lens that they looked at all the previous rules for would clearly indicate to you that it should be interim final. So you know, maybe we just look real at these really quick. So 
inside the text of the 2020 rule, which we'll link to it, people can go read it for themselves, right? Inside the text of the interim final rule, you know, they basically outline two things. They outline that the cyber threat landscape is becoming increasingly dire. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And they outline the fact that contractors were not implementing longstanding cybersecurity requirements, which at this point is a well-established fact. We've got that going back DOD reports, industry reports, DIBCAC reports. I mean, you can pick private sector analyses. You can pick DOD analyses. There is no F shortage. <clears throat> FCA proof. claims. There is no shortage of right. proof that the, 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 the requirements are going unimplemented. So you've got an increasingly bad threat landscape. You've got a stagnant level of implementation, right? That's sure. the justification for the rule. So and I don't think anybody the, can argue that, right? Like the, the, there's no, nobody that's going to stand on a hill and say, you know, actually, you guys got it all wrong. They're, everybody's really doing this. It's just exactly. that they're not doing yes. it well. Exactly. It's, and as it's not before, being done, and they're not right. comprehending what needs to be done. Now, now you could say, and I've said this before, if, if the threat landscape suddenly was no longer that big of a deal, well, then implementing the requirements isn't as important. But that's not true. And no. if the implementation of requirements was increasing rapidly, well, then maybe the need for a big assessment program is not as required, but we have not seen either of those two things happen. Threat landscape continues to get worse. Implementation continues to stay in the like sub 30%, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in 2013, this was a priority. This was an issue. We're 10 years later, and now yeah. the threat landscape has completely surpassed this, lapped it around, and now we're talking about adding AI as a potential right, threat. Right. Like, well, and as, as how, we're how far about, behind the power curve are we going to have to beg people to get, right? And as, as we're going to talk about at CS2 in our session, right, uh, this absolutely. leads to things like increasingly bad threat landscapes lead to things like 800-172. Because now all of a sudden you're like, we, we can't even get people to implement MFA and logging. And mm -hmm. the threat lands, the, the arms race is getting worse. So now you're end up, well, now in order to have some reasonable assurance against some more advanced threats, you got to deal with the extra enhancements in a separate document because we haven't even implemented the first one. That's a longer story right. that we're going to cover at CS2, but let's just sort of dive into what they Absolutely. have in the 2020 rule. So like we said, requirements have been existing for quite some time. They're unimplemented, threat landscape getting worse. So regarding the requirements in the 2020 rule, this is the DOD's rationale for explaining why they get an interim final rule. They say in 2013, the DOD issued a final DFARS rule that required contractors to implement a select number of security measures from NIST SP 853. That's the rule, the original rule that we talked about that created DFARS 7012 for the first time. They say in 2016, DOD issued an interim DFARS rule requiring contractors that handle CUI on their information systems to transition by December 31st of 2017. Mm -hmm. to SP-800-171. That's the 2016 rule that we talked about. This is the text contained in the 2020 rule. So when they start talking about the implementation problems, these are the fact that the requirements have existed, right? They're like, we can point to this rule. We can point to that rule. We can link to them in the federal register. I mean, we can cite them because they exist, right? right. So regarding the implementation issues, they say, in 2017, contractors and subcontractors acknowledged implementation rates of 38 to 54% for at least 10 of the 110 requirements in SP 800171. They linked to an NDIA report. In 2018, 36% of contractors 
indicated a lack of awareness of the DFARS Clause 7012, and 45% of contractors acknowledged not having even read SP 800171. The deadline was the end of 2017, right? In 2019, contractors rated their level of preparedness for a DCMA standard assessment of contractor implementation of 800-171 at 56%, two years after the deadline. And then in 2019, the DOD Inspector General found that DOD contractors did not consistently implement mandated system security requirements for safeguarding CUI, and they recommended that DOD take immediate steps to assess a contractor's ability to protect this information Subsequently to that, and also in 2019, the Senate Armed Services Committee expressed concern that DIB contractors are inviting targets for adversaries who have been conducting cyber attacks to steal critical military technologies. And to this end, the NDAA for fiscal year 2020 directed the Secretary of Defense to develop a consistent comprehensive framework to enhance the cybersecurity of the U.S. defense industrial base no later than February 1st of 2020. In 2020, only 36% of contractors demonstrated implementation of all 110 of the SB 800-171 requirements for assessments conducted on site by DOD DIBCAC today. And they conclude this section by saying, various industry surveys and government assessments conducted to date illustrate the following. Absent a requirement for defense contractors to demonstrate implementation of standard cybersecurity processes and practices, cybersecurity requirements will not be fully implemented, leaving DOD and the DIB unprotected and vulnerable to malicious cyber activity. Therefore, interim final rule, here's the text of the 7019-7020-7021 clause. Pretty strong case for why you would get a rule. And as we've talked about before, this was the first time that anybody had heard of any of this. They didn't know they had the 7012 clause. They didn't know that something happened in 2013. They weren't aware that something had happened in 2016. They certainly were not aware that they had been self-attesting by accepting these purchase orders, saying that they had been implementing it when clearly they were not, which brings up a whole other set of issues with DOJ and the False Claims Act. And so when you read through this information in the rule, whether you love CMMC or you hate CMMC or whatever, has any of this stuff that they outlined three years ago in the rule changed for the better? No, actually, let's nerd out for a second, okay? Let's do it. And I'm talking broadly. I'm not talking about the people listening to the show that have implemented their requirements. A lot of the people listening to the show are going to, I mean, they're already picking up what the deity is putting down a long time ago. I'm saying big picture here, big picture here. So Microsoft's digital defense report reported that 75% of advanced threats are successful. And this is saying that DIB contractors are inviting targets and adversaries have accepted the invitation because at a clip of 4,000 attacks on a daily basis, 4,000 average attacks on a daily basis, 45% of those attacks are targeted on the United States where the DIB contractors reside. So now we're down to 2,000. And 85% of those total uh, targeted attacks are focused on government industries or contracting industries that make up the defense industrial base. Things like education, IT support, health, non-government organizations, government contractors, right? And so now that is advanced threat statistics. And we're talking, we're begging about basic controls that are at a 36% implementation rate. And you are a sitting duck 
with if you've tried or attempted to do these basic protections, right? Yeah, it's one of those things that comes up where people are like, well, 800-171 doesn't do a very good job against advanced threats. And it just reminds me of like the the, the famous NFL press conference where I'm like, playoffs, playoffs, yeah. we don't have logging turned on. The playoffs, MFA is still like the number one thing that DibCAC finds that isn't implemented. And it's the number one thing that the government is out there recommending that you do. It's always the number one recommendation. And just like the rule says, right? And I, I sometimes wish that, I, I a lot of times wish, that the DOD, when they were addressing industry, sort of took the kid gloves off with their, yeah. their normal webinar rhetoric. And they spoke to people the way they speak to you in the rule. Because in the rule, they're not, they're not pulling any punches, right? Because it's in, it's in black and white. They don't have to... They're not, they're not talking to an audience. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing preventing them from just saying it like it is. And they say it right here, absent a requirement for contractors to demonstrate implementation of these requirements, it will not be fully implemented, period. There's, there is no more. And so, and so we're waiting on the CMMC program rule, which is the program by which contractors will be assessed to demonstrate their implementation. And I just, I know we're sort of preaching to the choir here, but clearly the national security case for an interim final rule has not lessened over mm -mm. the last three years. So no. the idea that we're going to go through a proposed rule because it's very complicated might be valid and it might outweigh the national security case. I just like to <clears throat> remind people whenever, <clears throat> whoa, excuse me. I like to remind people whenever... I can, that if you pull the camera back far enough, stuff's not going well, right? Implementation rates are still bad, regardless of what DibCAC says, regardless of what DOD says. One of the main things that we hear all the time, DOD is constantly saying, do not wait on the CMMC program rule to start your implementation of 800-171 because they're different rules. And the, a lot of industry, a lot of industry says, I mean, you can ask probably the IT folks who are listening to this podcast what their leadership says. They say, we will start on our implementation once the CMMC rule becomes a thing. Mm -hmm. And so if the CMMC rule, and I, I hope that OIRA considers this in their calculus for their decision, if your implementation is the problem and you need to implement those requirements in the name of national security, because we've got the rules that say, that say so, you going with a proposed rule will continue to see a lack of implementation until the rule is final. And so, as we know, if we get a rule published end of October, end of this year with the shutdown, then that means that on average, if it's a proposed rule, DOD takes about 333 days to fully adjudicate all their public comments and then issue their final rule, which on our timeline would put us in the beginning of 2025-ish. So you're basically saying, as OIRA, we know that over the last 10 years, this clear national security problem has only deteriorated, and we've tried twice and found that it's sufficient for interim final status, and we're okay waiting another 12 to 18 months. And you know, you can agree with them, you can disagree with them, but I just think that not, especially with all the stuff that's going on around the town hall, the AB, 
the NIST revisions to 171, all the ticky-tacky little details of what's going on in the overall story of this saga of stuff. I just think that people kind of lose sight of why this all started, right? Sure. And what and what the trade-offs are if we go with a proposed rule. I mean, there are no solutions to these problems. And there's trade-offs if we go with an interim final rule as well. But, you know, people should check out the poll that we had on LinkedIn. They should check out the article about the government shutdown. They should check out the text of the 2020 rule. Just just skim through it. I mean, it was three years ago. This is what we're all waiting on, honestly. So just good for everybody's awareness. And uh, I just wanted to bring that up to everybody and make sure that they they didn't forget. Could you imagine saying, like sitting in, in, the, in the living room one night and NBC airs a commercial and it says, premiering brand new TV show and they don't tell you what it is, right? And then you show up at the time that's supposed to premiere and it's like Saved by the Bell, but it's the old school Saved by the Bell. And they're passing it off as brand new, and it's now it's required that you have to watch it, dude. Right Wait, now, there's, a, what's there's a new Saved by the Bell. Yeah, there's like the college years, and they, no, no, they, no, they no. redid it. And everything no, no, like that. It's, no, it's no, crazy. No, yeah, I don't want to. Peace, I got nope, wild. Nope, I don't Zach, even want Zach's, Zach's the principal. Like it's nuts. <gasps> but, Zach is the principal. Real, real. No life. way. No, no. no way. He's the governor of California. Never mind. I will watch Golden Bachelor yeah. on repeat before I watch but that abomination. The thing is, is that that's what we're doing, right? Is that we are sitting here and we are arguing T's and I's on a rule that realistically is bringing the cybersecurity posture of an industry up to a level that was relevant when Saved by the Bell was. I would, I would like if I could get into a time machine, right? There's a mm -hmm. bunch of stuff I'd like to do. One of the things I would like to do is I would like to go back to 2015 after the mm -hmm. OPM hack. And I would like to get the director of national intelligence, the director of the CIA, the director of the NSA, and then I'd like to take them forward to uh, 2016, and I'd like to sit down with General Mattis, uh, Brigadier General Murphy, and the Secretary of Defense right after the compromise of the Sea Dragon program, along with the DoD IG right after they published their report, and I'd be like, everybody, thanks for coming. Uh, stuff's not going well, as I'm sure you're aware, and I would just like you to know that uh, I am from the future, and... Uh, none of this stuff will start to get better until at least 2025. I saw a movie like that. I'm glad that you didn't follow the same storyline because General Mattis and the IG people. What do you think Mad kissing at the enchantment? Uh, he wouldn't kiss anybody at the enchantment under the sea dance, so the cybersecurity didn't disappear in the future. Like that's for sure. It would be that would be absurd to them, right? It would be, I, I, it would be unbelievable to them if you were to I, tell them that this would not occur until 2025. I don't think that anybody intended, you know, like for, for it to oh, be that so. way. Like, it, it's just that this is where we're at. This is yeah. how things 100%, have gotten. 100%. Now, you know, the nice part, the bright side, there's always a bright side. The bright side is, is that all of these unintentional bureaucratic delays give companies more time to get right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it clearly is an inevitability, even if it's taking a lot longer than anybody would have otherwise wanted when these bad things were really the focus and attention spawning these rules. And I think that in the long term, that's a huge advantage because it gives people a lot of time to wrestle with these requirements. The downside to that bright side is the longer that people have had to implement the requirements, the less uh, of a case companies will have for not having had enough time when it finally comes out. Sure. And around and around we go, right? And 
more removed from the uh, cybersecurity program that reflects the modern threat landscape. That's the yeah. other thing that's not being taken in here. Five years yep. down the road, what's the threat landscape going to look like? Is it going to look like 171? Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to look like it's probably going to look like 172 at the start or 173 on top of that. Who knows what we're right. going to get? As far right. As and that, I think that that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's a constant evolution. But like we said, CS2 next week, as of the time of this conversation, if you want to have a conversation with Matt, if you want to yell at Matt Travis, he's going to be there. If you want to yell at us, yell. we're going to be there. There's going to be Please a whole bunch yell. of people. Yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch of people. We can all yell together, right? Uh, we're going to cover 171 in detail. We're going to cover 172 in detail. We're going to cover 171A in detail. There's C3PAOs. There's panels. There's higher ed. There's tool demonstrations. There are more speakers at this CS2 than any other CS2 that we have held. And we've been holding this event for five years. Thousands of people have attended CS2 over the years. And this is the this is the biggest number of presenters we've ever had. So uh, still time to register. Discount code still valid, which we'll put down below. And uh, some of you have already used that discount code. So thank you very much. We see you. We love you. Like and subscribe. And we'll see you in Denver. See y'all.